The following talk was given at the Insight Meditation Center in Redwood City, California. Please visit our website at audiodharma.org. When the Buddha talked about how to um, practice, how to cultivate our um, the qualities that support us in our meditation and in our lives, he emphasized that we need to get familiar with, we need to begin to understand and recognize what qualities are wholesome, what qualities help lead us towards happiness, and what qualities are unwholesome or unskillful, what qualities lead us towards struggle, suffering, frustration, dissatisfaction in our lives. And his whole teaching was oriented around how can we become happier? And I think this is a it's a natural tendency of our uh, of our minds and bodies as human beings to want to move towards happiness and well-being. And yet the Buddha realized that the way that we typically engage in that engage in that uh, process of finding well-being, um, often we end up doing things that are counterproductive for us, that we kind of misunderstand how to move towards well-being. And so he highlighted um, various qualities of mind. Um, he said that if we're acting out of greed, out of aversion, out of delusion, then we'll be moving in the direction of unhappiness. We'll be moving in the direction of suffering, of struggle, of dissatisfaction. And if we act out of wholesome qualities, which the uh, most common definition of wholesome qualities in the Buddhist teachings is the absence of greed, aversion, and delusion. So the, uh, the non-greed, non-aversion, non-delusion, if we act out of non-greed, non-aversion, non-delusion, then we'll move towards happiness. So if we turn those around, non-greed would be generosity. Non-aversion would be kindness, love. And non-delusion would be wisdom. And in his... Um, teaching of the Eightfold Path, he highlighted that it's really helpful to make the effort to let go of, abandon the unwholesome, unskillful, and to cultivate the skillful. So this is his teaching on right effort. And in our meditation practice, we often talk a lot about meeting the difficulties we explore that a lot. How do we turn towards our struggles with a sense of open, receptive mindfulness? So we talk a lot about that, cultivating that kind of mindfulness that can meet with it an openness the difficulties of our lives. We don't talk as much about the wholesome qualities themselves. We don't talk as much about love and compassion and patience and joy and um, equanimity and um, 
generosity. We don't, we don't spend as much time talking about that as we spend talking about our struggles and our difficulty. And so for the last several meetings that I've been teaching here, I've been highlighting different of these beautiful qualities of mind and exploring um, exploring the quality itself a little bit and then exploring a little bit about what it would mean to cultivate that because in the teaching on right effort the Buddha encourages us to cultivate these wholesome qualities to find ways to increase them in our uh, in our lives, in our experience and I also think um, have experienced in my own practice that the way the right effort is phrased, and I'll just briefly summarize this, it's got four, four aspects to it, that we um, abandon, let go of unwholesome states that have arisen. So when greed, aversion, delusion, delusion arise, we uh, m- make the effort to let go of them. Now that letting go might have an active quality. It, it, it doesn't have an aversive quality. It doesn't have a pushing away, a hating quality. But it might have an active quality of recognizing, oh yeah, I don't need this right now, this is not helpful. And then it can kind of begin to let go. It also can have, uh, we can also let go of unwholesome, unskillful states by simply being mindful of them. That the turning towards with mindfulness allows those states to have their nature, which is impermanent, and so they tend to dissipate when we have a receptive, open, mindful attention to them. So that's one aspect of wise effort. Another aspect of wise effort is to notice conditions that might lead us into these unskillful states and avoid those conditions. So avoid the arising of these unwholesome states. So that takes a little bit of understanding of cause and effect of what causes these states to happen. And I've talked about this in the past few weeks, so I won't go into that in too much detail. Um, Then on the other side, there are two aspects of wise effort around cultivating wholesome states. When wholesome states are not present, then we we can actively try to arouse them, to bring them into being. And then uh, the other one on the wholesome state side or the skillful state side is to see if we can maintain skillful states that have come up in our minds. So becoming um, conscious of them, becoming aware of them actually supports their continuing. So these four, they sound like perhaps four different things, but actually there's a way in our practice that they're they're all happening at the same time. That when we are working with difficult states of mind, turning towards them with mindfulness, that mindfulness itself brings qualities of acceptance, of kindness, patience, of the open heart, of balance of mind, And so while we're turning with mindfulness to these difficult states, these wholesome qualities are are being cultivated. So it's not like we do one one side of these aspects of wise effort without the other. And when we are cultivating wholesome qualities actively, 
picking, for instance, kindness or patience to actively uh, look at and explore. We are creating the conditions not only for those to appear more frequently in our lives, but we're also creating the condition for the unskillful states to appear less frequently. So there's, there's not really a, um, a separation between these different sides of wise effort. And the quality that I'd like to, to explore today is the quality of metta, of kindness, of loving kindness. It's essentially, I mean, it's so entwined with mindfulness, this quality of metta. We can cultivate it separately. There are practices for cultivating it separately, which I'm not going to talk about today. I'm going to mostly talk about the quality itself and a little bit about how it's connected to our uh, mindfulness practice. So this quality of kindness, when we bring, as I said a few minutes ago, when we turn our mindful attention to anything, the encouragement is open, accepting awareness. And that acceptance, that very acceptance, has a quality of friendliness to it. And so the the quality of metta, of love, of loving kindness, can have the simple, just the simple um, sense of being caring, friendly towards either ourselves or others and it can also it can also be this quality of kindness that's the kind of ground this sense of caring and friendliness the more we connect with that the more it's cultivated it's like the deeper it grow it deeper it gets and that very same sense of caring can become a boundless sense of of radiating love for all beings that doesn't need anything in return so this uh, quality of metta has a, has a range to it. And so we begin by just noticing the simpler kinds of metta, the simpler kinds of friendliness, kindness. Where do those come in our lives? And to, to begin to recognize that actually those come up for us. This is one way to actually cultivate the quality of metta. Just begin to recognize when is it happening for us? You know, if you... If you um, smile at somebody on a walk, there can be a sense of friendliness that happens there. Acknowledge that, recognize it, feel it. I have found this to be a beautiful way to cultivate this quality of kindness, of friendliness. So it can be very simple. So this quality of um, metta, it connects us to others through this sense of friendliness, of caring. And it also connects us to ourselves. And there's a way, it's kind of a a cliche that's, you know, we can't love others unless we love ourselves. But I think it's really true that, that unless we can be friendly, kind with ourselves and with our own experience, it will be only a... Uh, a partial friendliness and kindness to others. If we're judgmental about ourselves, there will also be that tendency to be judgmental about others. So 
So this quality of metta is a, it's an open-hearted, friendly feeling, such as you might experience when you see a dear friend that you haven't seen for a long time. You just imagine that, you know, right now, the sense of how you might feel if a dear friend came and sat down next to you right now. There might be a sense of, of happiness, of joy, of well-wishing, of friendliness, of caring. All of those qualities are in the, ter- in the terrain of metta. This feeling of caring, of friendliness, opens us to some other beautiful qualities. The, the quality of friendliness itself uh, is what happens when we meet somebody who is perhaps in a similar situation as we are, or um, you know, just, just the kind of sense of meeting a dear friend. If, in meeting that dear friend, our first feeling is one of connection and caring, and then they start telling us about some struggles they're experiencing, some pain, some loss, some grief, our hearts may resonate with that. That open, caring feeling can shift into the quality of compassion. When our heart can stay open to that suffering, Often we will tighten and close and contract when we hear about suffering. And that's our work, to, to, to be able to recognize, oh, okay, that's hard, I need to, you know, can I be allowing and open about my own fear of hearing about this? But just to point to this quality of metta itself, that open-hearted connection when it meets suffering, if it meets suffering and the heart doesn't contract and close, the quality of that feeling becomes compassion. And then if that friend instead sat down next to us and told us how things were going really well for them, again, it might be our hearts would contract if things aren't going quite as wonderfully for us as it is for our friend, there might be a little sense of envy or, or jealousy or a sense of, why not me, you know? Why isn't it happening that way for me right now? So there can be a little bit of contraction around that as well. Again, that's our work, to notice when that happens, to not be judgmental around it, to just recognize, okay, this is what happens for me when this comes up. But again, when that open heart of kindness, of caring, meets success, meets joy, if it doesn't close down and contract, the, that open heart will then resonate with that joy and feel what we could call sympathetic or empathetic joy. I like the term sympathetic joy because it reminds me of the, the term sympathetic vibration in music. That if you're plucking a string on an instrument and there's another string nearby, that the vibration of that first string will create uh, 
a vibration that impacts that second string and the second string will resonate in tune or in vibration with that first one. And that's kind of how it feels in our hearts. When our heart is open and receptive and feeling that sense of kindness and caring, when we see that there's joy or success in someone else, our heart in tune with that feels joy also. It's quite a beautiful, uplifting feeling. Babies are great teachers of this quality of mind. Uh, The Pali for this is mudita. Um, And if you just imagine right now, if there's a, a child in your life, or has been at some point a child in your life, just imagine um, the smile at their success in accomplishing something new, you know, walking over an uneven terrain and finding that they can successfully navigate that and just the joy that they experience. Our heart will often resonate in joy with that. And I think it's, it's easy with babies because um, there's not so much comparing going on. So, um, you know, when a friend talks about the success they're having in our lives, the comparing mind comes up. It's the comparing mind, I think, that begins to close down the heart that can resonate with that joy. It's like, well, this is the way my life is going and theirs is going that way and... I wish mine were going better, you know. And so the comparing mind kicks in. And so this is why I think babies are such great teachers of this quality, that we can begin to get a sense of that resonating heart with joy. Because that comparing mind isn't so active. So we can cultivate these qualities... There are practices to cultivate them, actual meditative practices to cultivate these qualities of, of kindness, of compassion, of sympathetic joy. And um, I may talk about that in a few weeks. I'm not, I'm not decided yet. I'll see what the interest is and whether that's of interest to hear about. Um, but what I'd like to talk about today are, are kind of ways that these qualities are cultivated through practical explorations in our lives and through our, our meditative practice in general. How, how are these qualities um, coming up? So the first thing I'd like to explore is just this quality of awareness of presence. And I, I spoke a few minutes ago about how when we are able to be aware and present for our own struggles it is naturally kind of pulling along or cultivating beautiful qualities such as acceptance, kindness. One teacher even said that this process of exploring our minds with meditation is the act of befriending ourselves. So we are um, encouraging that quality of friendliness and kindness towards ourselves through this practice of awareness, through, through mindfulness. And inclining the mind towards a more um, non-judgmental experience. Whatever comes up, we can just be with it. Anger's arising. Okay, anger's happening right now. Can I be with that? 
that brings in this quality of friendliness is cultivating mindfulness, friendliness, balance of mind at the same time as allowing this difficult state to be um, letting go. So we're, we're bringing in this quality of friendliness, of kindness through just the practice of being present. And we can do this for others as well. Have you ever sat with a friend who was really struggling with something and had the space to be open about it, to not be reactive about it. How that ability to sit with somebody and just be present for it, not to try to fix or change their suffering, but to just be a witness to it. Being a witness, that can be a a beautiful act of kindness. And actually, I've had the experience where somebody, after I, I had that um, time where I could sit with somebody who was expressing some, some suffering, that person came back to me a few days later and said, were you practicing metta? <laughs> and I, I said, no, I was just trying to be with you. I was just trying to be as present as I could be. And he said, you know, that was really helpful. So... You know, to not try to fix or change. You know, love doesn't have to try to fix or change. It can just be with. And that can connect us with others. It was a beautiful connection with my friend when I sat with him. I'd just be witness to that and not close down myself around his pain. So that's one way to cultivate kindness, caring, friendliness to be willing to be with struggle. Another way is to actually start to get familiar with what it feels like when this feeling of caring comes up. You know, to actually kind of highlight it for ourselves. I mentioned this a little while ago, that we don't tend to perhaps highlight this or recognize this so much. That when we do meet friends that we have a sense of um, caring for, to acknowledge it as, oh, this quality, this is a wholesome quality, this is a beautiful quality. To not just kind of brush over it and leap into the content of an exchange, but actually feel, what does it feel like to have this feeling? What does friendliness feel like? What does caring feel like? What does a wish for well-being feel like? This quality of friendliness, of metta, can have different flavors the formal practice of metta actually acknowledges these different flavors by um, encouraging us to have different, um, different expressions of this wish for kindness. May I be happy, may, I, may you be happy. That's one of the wishes of kindness. May you be happy. Another flavor of it is wishing for health. May you be healthy. May you be free from fear and danger is yet another kind of flavor of it. So these give you different senses of the quality, perhaps. And then, may you live with ease. May you have ease in your life, another aspect of that. So to begin to get familiar with what does this quality feel like, when we get familiar with it, actually, 
bringing mindfulness to, oh, this is, mind, this is metta. This is what metta feels like. This is what kindness feels like. That creates the conditions essentially for us to recognize it more. And if we kind of don't notice it as much, if we just brush over it or aren't cognizant of the fact that this is happening for us, it, it, no, it's happening, but it's not, it's not kind of getting the, it's not connecting with it in a way that supports its resonance. I kind of think of that the mindfulness of these wholesome qualities as allowing the heart to really feel the beauty of these qualities. When we don't take it in so much, it's like our heart doesn't quite notice how beautiful it is. So that's another way to explore this, to take in what does it feel like. Another exploration is um, to begin to notice as you begin to get familiar with what it feels like, you might begin to notice certain conditions that support that quality to come and other conditions that get in the way. So, for instance, just simple, uh, you might find you're more likely to feel um, a sense of open-hearted connection when you've had enough rest. Or if you're not busy and rushing, when we're, we're busy, anxious, rushing, that, that mental agitation kind of can block our ability to feel this tenderness of heart. So noticing for yourselves, what are the conditions, the qualities, the situations that support us to feel kind? And what are the ones that get in our way? And a couple other Um, things that I've explored a little bit. One suggested by Joseph Goldstein was to follow through on simple acts of kindness when they occur to you. Just, you know, if it occurs to you to hold the door open for somebody or help somebody take their groceries to their car or just even simple things rather than, you know, brushing it off and saying, oh, well, no, they probably wouldn't want that, or, oh, I've got, I'm too busy, or whatever. To actually, when it occurs to you to do that, to follow through. And then related to that, oh, another one, another good one for that is um, um, on the freeway. <laughs> you know, um, letting people have an easy merge on the freeway. Um, and this, this relates to the, the, the next aspect of this is to actually consciously practice acts of kindness, even if it's not necessarily occurring to you, you know, to actually make it a practice to allow people to have an easy merge on the freeway or to make it a practice to smile at the cashier in the grocery store and um, exchange a greeting. I mean, I'm not talking about deep, soulful gazing into their eyes. You know, just, <laughs> just a simple, hi, I hope you're having a good day, or, you know, something really simple, friendly. Um, just to make those as practice. And see how it impacts you. How does it impact the rest of your day to have some moments of friendliness during your day? At one point, I was 
my exercise was taking a walk through the neighborhood. And now I go to the gym, and it's not such, so conducive for this because everybody's kind of into their own thing at the gym. But when I was taking a walk, I would often meet the same people on the walk. And um, if they would make eye contact with me, I would smile. That was my practice. And what I discovered was that I was repaid way, many times over for that offering of a smile because I often got a a smile in return. And just being present for somebody smiling at me, it was like, wow, that that feels really good. You know, I, I was shocked actually at how joyful it made me feel to receive a smile and be mindful of that. At one point, I even started tracking, well, how long does this joy last? This joy of, you know, receiving a smile. It was like 30 seconds. You know, that was pretty amazing. (laughs) It's just, so this can bring a lot of happiness into your day, practicing in this way. So those are some ways to actively cultivate the quality of kindness. And then, as I said earlier, we also cultivate it through just being aware, being present, being mindful. That the quality of mindful attention actually brings along this friendliness with it. And then there's another way in which our practice begins to open us to this quality of love. And that is that I think... A lot of the ways that we struggle are, as I said at the beginning, a lot of the ways that we struggle are kind of rooted in really misunderstanding where happiness is, how happiness, how deep happiness can come to be. We all have this kind of biological imperative towards well-being, the so one book I read recently that really described this as a function of the brain, that the brain wants to come into a very natural balance. And yet, the way that we've engaged in that, um, we've learned some, some kind of short-sighted ways in which to, to have a sense of well-being. You know, if I get this thing that I want, I'll feel good. And so that, um, that movement towards well-being has gotten skewed to how can I get the thing that I want in the shortest time possible or how can I get rid of the thing that I don't want and create a scenario around me that feels okay for this second and then do it again and again and again. And we kind of get on this... this um, hamster wheel of having to keep getting the next thing, get rid of the thing that we don't like, get get the next thing we like. And we think that's as good as it gets because that's the only way that we've found ourselves moving towards happiness in the past. I need to have this job. I need to have a certain amount of income. I need to be able to buy the things I want. I need to have the relationship that makes me happy. We spend our lives trying to create conditions out in the world that we think will make us happy. 
And there is some happiness that comes from that. There is some sense of, of well-being. So there's the, that, that movement towards well-being is encouraged by the fact that it has had success in finding just even little moments of well-being. Little, you know, little hits of well-being with getting what we want, getting rid of what we don't want. And we think that's as good as it gets. We think that's the only way towards well-being. And what this practice begins to do is it begins to show us that that very movement towards getting what we want, getting rid of what we don't want, keeps us in a state of agitation. That even as we're trying to move towards well-being, we're sacrificing well-being in this very moment by the agitation that the wanting to have something that's not here and the wanting to get rid of something that is here is creating. So we're sacrificing that well-being of the moment for even a few seconds or few hours of what we think of as well-being in the future. So as we begin to bring mindfulness to our experience, we start to see how this hamster wheel that we've been on is not as satisfying as we thought. And we also begin to understand that the letting go of that wanting, either to have or to get rid of, the letting go of that brings a different kind of peace and well-being. The kind of peace that comes from letting go of needing to have things be a certain way and coming more into alignment with it's like this right now. Now this is not to say, I always have to say this because there can often be the sense that um, um, that coming into alignment with things as they are means that we don't try to change anything. What this coming into alignment with things as they are means is that we acknowledge it's like this right now. It's already like this. There's no point in fighting what already is. It may be that we see that we can out of not out of aversion or greed but out of compassion and kindness to ourselves that we can choose to take some action that moves us in a direction to change conditions the key is the motivation in which we make that movement is that motivation out of greed or aversion or is the motivation out of kindness out of compassion to make that movement. Now we'll always have mixed motivations. That that mixed motivations are going to exist in our minds. We're going to both want to get rid of that thing and have a sense of compassion for ourselves for being in the the struggle that we're in. So what I like to suggest for people is to acknowledge both sides. Acknowledge the wanting to get rid of and also acknowledge the compassion. And... um, in that acknowledging of the compassion, see if you can land a little bit more fully in the compassion as being the motivation for why um, for why 
you're taking that action. The other thing that I've seen um, in my own practice quite a few times, enough times now that I'm beginning to have a sense that there's something really deep to this. <laughs> that often when we're dealing with some difficult state, anger or depression, fear, we have the sense that you know we're paying attention to it We're paying attention to it to understand it, but there's often an agenda. We're paying attention to it so that it will go away. We'd like to get rid of that thing. We feel somehow like that. That thing is like a tumor. You know, it's it's like it would be best if we could just take a scalpel and cut the whole thing out and get rid of it. And what I've seen in my own practice, because I've had that, belief around difficult states that have come up. But over time I've gotten much more willing to just be with these difficulties, be with and watch them, watch them change, watch them unfold, learn about them, understand them, get, get really familiar with what's happening in my mind that's creating this fear or this depression or this anger. Get really familiar with that. And often there's a lot of layers, you know, a lot of layers to these things. And so watching, you know, just be willing to be with whatever's obvious about this experience. Okay, fear feels like this. And not necessarily jumping over it and saying, well, I know what's in the middle, you know, in the middle of that is that old pattern from, you know, way back when. And, you know, that old pattern is, you know, that's just not useful. So we kind of think we need to jump over the fear and get right down to the core. But I've seen it's mostly helpful to just be really gentle, allowing what's obvious. And then that allowing begins to kind of reveal other things that are underneath. And through this exploration... What I've seen happen more than once is that when I come into the very middle of that pattern, what's in the middle is a version of metta, a flavor of love. The the, uh, fear is... You know, packed on top of you know anger and frustration and insecurity, and in the middle is this wish to be safe, and that's an aspect of metta. So, if we can kind of follow the thread of our difficulties into the middle, I think often we'll find something really beautiful. And so this notion of having a scalpel and cutting it out and excising it, you know, there's going to be a lot of resistance in the mind about that because there is a beautiful, wholesome quality at the center. And that wholesome quality is not going to put up with being gotten rid of. 
what I've seen is that, that we have reactions to sometimes. I and mean, one time I was looking at depression and, you know, came into the middle and found this... I had been, been uh, on a retreat where there was some talking aloud and I was seeing in the evenings people would pair up and talk and I'd go out there and it would just trigger all of those old, you know, grade school things of people being paired up and me being left out. And, you know, I was feeling some depression and I I saw that, I could see that there was this kind of connection with seeing people, you know, that, 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 that that seemed to be related. But, you know, I didn't really want to go there and say, oh, obviously this is, you know, that's what this is about. It felt like it was a, there was a connection, but it wasn't, ob- it wasn't completely clear to me. It was kind of more that that's where the, the mind went. That's the kind of the, the story that I made about it. And so um, I just observed over and over. Over the course of several weeks, I observed this pattern of depression and I found, you know, I found all kinds of things <laughs> as I explored this pattern. And then one day, I was able to be with it, be with that feeling of depression in a, in a kind of a more full way, without any resistance whatsoever. The willingness to just be with that feeling of heaviness, of contraction, of dullness and a little bit of sadness and, you know, just this feeling of, well, you know what depression is like. <laughs> and, and that feeling, as I allowed it, the feeling got really, really big. And then at some point in that expansion of that feeling, I was just, I was able to just let it get big, get really big. And at some point it flipped, it like it turned inside out and became this incredibly beautiful, expansive feeling of metta the very next thought in my mind was, this is stupid, this is sappy, this is corny. And I saw in that instant how my mind held that beautiful quality of metta was with some aversion, with some sense of, you know, training somewhere from the past that that's corny, you know, that's... It makes you vulnerable, it makes you look stupid, you know, whatever, I thought. And so I saw in that moment that that the whole depressive pattern kind of had been a way of repressing this feeling of the open heart and not willing to be with that. So I've really gained an appreciation for the, the exploration of our difficulties as a way to find a thread to something really beautiful. Often some form of metta, whether it's sympathetic joy or um, well, wishing for safety or um, wishing for health. That often we, in that wish for health, for instance, we have a sense of, well, it's not possible. You know, I can't have that wish for health because I've got this chronic condition. So I can't have that wish for health. It's very natural to have the wish for health. We can have that wish for health and acknowledge, and I can't be healthy in that way. But it doesn't mean that that wish for health is wrong. So I hope this makes some sense. Um...
So I want to leave a few minutes for comments or, or questions. I think I've said most of what, yeah, right there. Oh, let's try the other one. Okay. Um, so habits, habits. Um, 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 I've noticed a habit of mind, mind recently that um, um, if I'm feeling, uh, if I'm feeling pain, which is a fairly frequent occurrence for me now, yeah, um, um, a whole slew of other states arise, like fear, um, um, sadness, grief, and, and just a whole list of, of very natural but negative emotions. Um, when, when my body is free of pain, I feel very buoyant and light and good. Uh, neither one of them lasts. They're, uh, <laughs> um, so you know, you're talking about threads and following these these habits of mind and cultivating certain things, and and so there's my observation. I've been seeing it repeatedly for a few weeks now. Um, what's what's so, next? So yeah, I mean, more of the same, and noticing when you're, um, I mean, what I found in that observation around depression, for instance, first of all, I wasn't looking for what's in the middle, what's, you know, I was just willing to be with things as they are. And I, I, it was, there was, you know, the exploration. That was on retreat, so I had the opportunity to really meet it and um, get to know what my reactivity was around all the different feelings that were coming up. So that's, that's an exploration. That, so you're able to feel the grief, the sadness, the, the distress uh, when your body is in pain. And also check in because um, when the pattern stays kind of unchanged, it often means that there's some kind of aversion or repression or pushing away of the pattern itself. So there's, there's, there's some ability to be with it. And there's also a little bit of, I wish this would go away. And that, I wish it would go away, is the next thing to also include. I don't like this. Okay, so there's sadness and loneliness and grief, and I don't like it. Not to try to get rid of the not liking, but to kind of acknowledge, yes, not liking is there. So when the not liking is not acknowledged, it's um, it's kind of well, it's being cultivated the not liking, and it's cultivating that wish to get rid of, which, in effect, I see you know those those with that even that subtle pressure of not liking it might it might not be as as much as gosh I really hate this I want it, I. But even just the subtle pressure of not liking kind of um, keeps the, those patterns of grief, of sadness, of loneliness kind of engaged in, in their place. And so it's, it's just keeping, being willing to keep looking. There have been some patterns I've looked at. I've looked at for years. 
And they eventually, with repeated understanding, I mean, like, the willingness to see it over and over again, each time you see it, you get a slightly different perspective on it. You get a little bit more understanding. One of my teachers, Sayadaw Utejaniya, talks about wisdom being the thing that allows us to get free. That, that, um, and that the little moments or the, you know, each time a pattern arises and we see a a little bit new. Oh, I see that when, when that pain is arising and I'm really um, um, tired, there's more struggle or something. You know, so we, we just see a little tiny bit of information about a pattern. The next time we get a little bit more information and the next time a little bit more information. That information gathering accumulates over time and helps us to or helps the pattern to free itself, actually. We don't do the freeing. The, the, the pattern will free itself when wisdom understands the whole nature of it. So it's, it's, there's a lot of patience involved in exploring these difficulties. And using we can use some wisdom to help us here. Like, for instance, your recognition, neither side lasts, right? So... When you're in the place of feeling the pain and all of the difficult emotions, just reminding yourself, and this doesn't last, this is impermanent, can help you to be more able to meet it, to be more present with it in the moment. So it's, you know, I don't have any, mindfulness isn't a silver bullet, <laughs> you know. It, uh, it definitely has a gradual to me at least, I've seen, you know, there have been a few, a few of, uh, experiences in my life where I've had you know, some insights that feel like they've cut very deeply and clearly. But most of my practice has unfolded in this very gradual way. Just seeing a little bit of self-hatred and, oh, that feels really awful. Knowing a little bit more about it each time. Just most of it has unfolded in that gradual way. So patience. And appreciation, too, um, when the pain is not there. I mean, you know, let, allow yourself to feel the appreciation of that, not to, not to push that part away. Oh, I shouldn't appreciate this because it's going to go away. That can be a tendency also. Um, Um, your your description just then and earlier in the talk reminded me of a touchstone from the Tao Te Ching, which goes, a touchstone for me. Um, if you want to get rid of something, you must first allow it to flourish. Hmm. If you want um, to receive something, you must first allow it to be given. Um, that's the first comment. The second one is the other sense, and maybe it's because you mentioned a baby earlier in the talk, that what you seem to be describing was um, a, um, an adult level of development in, in relation to pleasure. You know, an infant 
cries when he or she doesn't, when, when he or she is unhappy or hungry or whatever. And it, it's necessary for the development of that infant to be given um, whatever it is they need in order to comfort them or to survive in the case of food. And, and as that infant grows up, that we go through all sorts of st- stages. And certainly, I have neither the, the knowledge nor the time to discuss them all, but it seems like um, the challenge of adult development is what you're talking about today um, in the sense of moving from needing the pleasure to finding the pleasure in kindness and generosity and, and, and so holding forth. the pleasure with an open hand so that it's oh there's a I think it's a lake something oh I can't it's, I can't quite get it it's um I remember the last path heart, which is, he who kisses a joy as it flies, lives in eternity's sunrise. And the first part is um, something along the lines of holding that joy does the winged life destroy, something like that. So holding to a joy does the winged life destroy. He who kisses a joy as it flies lives in eternity's sunrise. It's kind of that, that sense of and I think you're right. It is a more um, well. It's a it's a it's a wiser it's a wiser perspective on um, happiness. Yeah. Thank you. And we need to stop. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> so thank you all for your attention. And just curious, how many of you would be interested in hearing about kind of the formal or the the meditative cultivation of mind of meta of kindness. Okay, so I will I will start that in a few weeks. I'm away next week teaching a retreat, but I'll be back, so I'll start that. Thank you.